Hey everyone, and welcome to this very special episode of a one-year anniversary. Oh my gosh, you guys, it's been a one full year of this podcast show, and I am so excited, as you guys can tell. So, this episode will be special because it will have a short segment from each of the episodes of 2019 to celebrate the one year anniversary, to put everything together, and to keep up that momentum for 2020. A new decade, a new era, right? So, without any further ado, let's get started. And thank you again for listening to the show. I would truly, truly appreciate it from you if you please would head over to the iTunes and leave a review. I would like it if it's five tar- five stars, but that's okay if it's less. And please comment your favorite part of the show, what you liked, what you enjoyed. And for 2020, I'm going to start sharing the reviews, giving more shout-outs on my Instagram, and so much more. So, without further ado, let's get the show started. Welcome to the Purposeful Fitness with Coach Ola, where I dive in deeper into holistic health and fitness topics that would help you stay inspired, motivated, and dedicated to living a purposeful fit life while pursuing for the Akhirah. It's not just a workout program or a plan. Fitness for me is all about my mindset, my body, and my soul. And that is why this podcast is Purposeful Fitness. So we can see fitness as a lifestyle, not just as a workout at the gym and then out of the gym and that's it it's your entire lifestyle from the body to the mind to the soul and i want to say that it is okay it's a work in progress it's not going to be a perfect week not going to be a perfect year and not going to be a perfect month so january february screw it up march (laughs) get back on track in april it's gonna be like day by day, week by week, month by month, and then year by year. And it's okay if you don't reach that goal weight by like March, for example. It's okay if the wedding happens and you haven't reached that dress that you want to fit into. How is your health? How are you feeling by the time you you get to that wedding time, for example, if that's like your goal? Do you want to feel excited at the end of the journey do you want to feel happy at the end so you can always measure your success also not just on the numbers but also on your feelings so for example and i'll do this myself as well for example right now as you're listening you could feel super excited or you can be like super bored (laughs) so if you're super bored for example you can like write one i'm not very excited about this episode or about this journey But I want to feel super excited at the end of this episode or at the end of this journey. And so you can rate on the scale five being super excited, for instance. And then at the end of the journey or this episode, see how you feel. Are you still on the scale number one or on scale number five? So that's why I'm a huge fan of like emotional intelligence. And that's why I talked about with Yasmin Isa. So if you haven't heard that episode, we did touch base on that. And I highly recommend it that you really, really take time to manage your emotions 
and that it is okay for you to cry it is okay for you to be frustrated but do not try to like not let that get in the way the emphasis on women is put on sexually objectifying yourself and showing your body and having your body be a means of validation and having people give you attention for your body and that is your self-worth and when i looked at the muslim woman and what she looks like i was like wow like you know a female choosing what she wants to wear how she wants to dress and that just that inspired the life out of me and so when i started covering i was like wow you know this is incredible cuz i don't have to train and eat well anymore to just look sexy try to look appealing try to be like this i get to do it because i love myself you know why cuz no one can see fully the outline of my body anymore it's just about me and how i'm feeling and they developed you know my purpose and naturally over time embarking on a lot of personal development you know journeys and different courses going to Tony Robbins um becoming a health coach you know it really really just ignited me forward and now i mentor women with the exact same because you know why muslim women women in modest clothes should love themselves because we're so and, and the, the the thing is i realize is that a lot of muslim women or even if you're just someone that dresses modestly you know fall into this trap of like okay well you know what no one can see my body now so it's okay i don't have to look after myself i don't have to love myself i don't need to you know do this and do that but it's it's not about the outside world validation it's about you because you know what one day your creator is going to ask you a lot of questions and one of them being how did you treat this body that i gave you and he has given our body as an amana as a trust you know onto us and we're accountable for how we treat it how we live with it in this world and it's an incredible blessing and we all start off with a blank canvas in this world of how we treat ourselves our body our mind and what we do with it and it is just so so powerful so i went from thinking that i need to impress others with my body and to look hot and to you know think that oh yeah fitness is just about having quite unquote bikini body and a and a booty or whatever and out over that you know it's just about me my relationship to myself and that is exactly off of that naturally will you feel like especially at the tender age during high school in your teen years you're like well why not me well what's wrong with me you know why can't i get that attention too and it's not got to do with anything except your understanding at that age of what it means to cuz everyone wants to feel good you know like you and I we both feel good now in our bodies because of our understanding of how good it feels to be modest how good it feels to stay active and do all of that but back then because we didn't have that understanding the validation and the way we want to feel good now we still had that same need back then but because we hadn't seen enough of the world and felt what we do now that's why our need for validation was simply based on those circumstances that were surrounding us at that given time and and the reason i started this is because a lot of men will come into recovery so these guys come in they start to grow mentally they start to grow spiritually they start to make internal changes but a lot of the times they don't address their physical health and so this program i've put together it really gives guys like myself the structure and discipline that we lack in life period it gives us a game plan but it also makes sure that we're doing the most we can in terms of our recovery we're doing what we need to in terms of of staying healthy you know fueling our body properly working out staying active definitely lifting like that is a big part 
of, of our program because it helps, you know, build confidence and, and you just feel better. You look better, but also making sure that there is a spiritual aspect to this and that these men are making sure that on a daily basis, they are contributing to their spiritual life and also the relationships that are important to them. So what our program is all about and and the motto actually is is recover the man that you were meant to be and and that's really what this program allows these guys to do i love that and there's so much inspiration from your story i told so i told jonathan like i reached out to him i said oh my gosh like you inspired me so much because there is a lot i can relate to him with my own mental health story my own addiction with food do you find it sometimes challenging to deal with your emotions because of society's expectations from a man yeah. So, man, you know, I've, I've had, so I said, I, I live here in Houston. I've, I've got friends that are Muslim. I know men in AA that are Muslim. And, you know, the thing is, is it, I think there is just a, and it's, I, I see where you're, where you're coming from with that angle, you know, and I, I think number one, just most men have this kind of macho thing going on, but it's definitely, what I could see with my friends that are Muslim, there, there's even more pressure to to be this man, right? There's even more pressure to don't show any weakness. And the thing is, is that, you know, I, I did feel that quite a bit. And, and I'll just tell you that that makes the recovery process a lot harder because, you know, you, you, you need to get honest with yourself about what is really going on. And, you need to be, if, if you're going to attack this thing, no matter how you do it, let me be very clear that I believe that there are absolutely different roads to recovery. I don't think that the 12 steps are the only way that I'm speaking from my experience. This is what, this is what has worked for me personally. And I tried other ways that, that just did not work. So let me say that, but you know, the thing is, is that for someone to recover period, they're going to have to be open-minded to new ideas. Okay. They're going to have to be vulnerable more than likely to, to really be able to move on from this thing. And, you know, I struggle as well. Like I knew that it's important to be nice to myself, to, to love myself, but it just hit me really hard to know why I was going through my social media mindlessly why I'm looking at someone's post when I don't need to, when I need to focus on my own business, on my own work, continue doing my own things, stay positive, you know, not be pessimistic, what have you. And the core essence of it was to appreciate myself, to love myself, and that I am enough. I am so worth it. And we don't actually talk like that, right? In a daily conversations, we have the whole self-care culture going on right now, right? We have the whole self-love, self-care, give time to yourself. I talk about it as well. But do we actually do that? Do we actually take time out and just love ourselves and say, yeah, I am beautiful. Yeah, I am amazing. Yes, I deserve it all. And yes, why not be grateful to myself, you know? Each one of us have have their own failures. They ha- we each one of us have their own success, our own shortcomings, what have you. And so, like, take a moment and reflect and be thankful for your success, even for your failures. Your failures are not the end of the world. Learn from those failures. Appreciate those moments because those moments that you f- like that you feel like you have failed are actually moments that 
hopefully if you think about it from a positive perspective if you look at it from a positive perspective uh to appreciate those moments because they build you up did the weightlifting deadlift and it went really really wrong so i was out of the workout for three months i went back to the same doctor she gave me high dosage of anti-inflammation medications and i was out of the out from the gym for three months i couldn't work out it's really bad and i was really in pain and guess which position helped me the most to relieve the pain from my back do you want to guess okay i'll tell you it is the sujood as in the prostrations during our prayers in islam we pray five times a day and we prostrate on the ground so prostration helped me a lot and that's we believe that we're closest to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when we are in the prostration position. So subhanAllah, my back was feeling like so much comfort and spiritually I was feeling so much more comfort. I would cry to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala like, you know, whatever struggle that I was going through, I would just cry it out. And that was the year that my Ramadan was the most spiritual uplifting Ramadan ever. For me, Ramadan was nothing but a month to lose weight. Nothing but a month of festives eating there was no spiritual connection it was just culturally related no islamic related but that year when i pulled my back muscle was the year that i was like oh my gosh like a party is happening you know that joy you get when you go to a party and that was it and the funny party guys oh my gosh so my nova days were the funny fun parts i went to the court at least twice during my under early years of college because of my lovely speeding driving skills that i <laughs> have and one of those days like when i first went to the court for the first time i was i was over 18 obviously so i was an adult aka that nobody could stand up for me i had to stand up for myself in front of the judge and it was the time that the concept of akhira as in the afterlife hereafter came into my mind i'm standing from this judge trying to defend my case and try to bleed like i'm not guilty and what have whatever and you know the people like next to the judge what have you i would imagine them as like the angels or whatever like i would just connect these little things to like islamic belief that we have and early days when i found islam if you want to call it that way or whatever reading the quran more i wanted to study more and more and more so a lot of times since i finally got a car i would drive from nova which was closer which was close to a local masjid um as in mosque i would drive to it myself and i would try to study more or find books to that is relatable and just read it and there were so many times i wouldn't tell my parents that i was there just because i didn't want them to know that like they're praying here but they're doing this and that over there you never know what level they're at and where they are at right so that was also my early college years where the years that my friend and i did our first 5k our first 10k and then we both went to two so subhanallah it, you know it really hits home that when we constantly in everything that we do also remembering our purpose you know we are here not to just enjoy this dunya we are not here to just have luxury and lavish and build up our wealth and build up our career not that these things are wrong there's nothing wrong with aspiring the dunya but constantly reminding ourselves of the akhirah and in one line of poetry that's actually one of my favorite uh, imam al-shafi rahimahullah says and i wish less to add the maquta and admit less to add the maqabra himmati himmat al-muluk wa nafsi nafsi hurran tara al-madallata kufra he says that if i live i am not just food and i'm not just drink so that when i die i'm not just a body that's cast 
and that you know for basically for one to have a purpose in life one to constantly remind myself why am i here to begin with and we all know alhamdulillah as muslims that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has put us in this dunya for a temporary time to worship him and so we when we come to recognize okay does this food actually affect my ibadah for example the constant one that i i love to give is ramadan you know like if if right now i'm going to eat this food in the physical realm of this dunya is it somehow going to affect my spiritual physical ibadah you know we we for example fasting all day long and we're not eating and then iftar time comes and we have lavish iftar parties and every kind of food we can imagine you know four different entrees and six desserts and then we come to pray tarawih or even isha and the imam says allahu akbar and we say bismillahirrahmanirrahim <laughs> we're ready to go to sleep you know it's like subhanallah yeah. and subhanallah it's, it's interesting because we have to really come to recognize the effect that the food that we eat uh, the physical exercise all these things have on our our spiritual spiritual state and this is when it can also become an act of ibadah it can become rewarding to exercise years at college so i was around you know 18 after 18 years old so 19 she gave me a scarf and as a gift two scarves and i thought okay cool maybe it's a sign i don't know and the scarf i wore it on my head just to see how i look like and I liked it. It looked nice on me. But I didn't want to wear the hijab just for the sake of like, oh, a fashion statement, for example, or just to look in a certain way. I wanted to come from within me and not from the outside. And yes, there were like like tiny bits of an interest in the back of my uh, subconscious mind, back somewhere in my mind that, yes, I want to wear it. But, you know, it wasn't like a top priority until the scarf was given to me as a gift. Then, what steps did I take to get into it and how did I really get into it? I approached one of my teachers at my community college. It was a university course, a community college, right? And it's about Islam uh, and what have you from the West perspective. And it was taught by a Muslim teacher, professor. And so I told her like, hey, I kind of want to wear it, but I'm not sure if I should wear it or like what have you. So she said, and she gave me this advice that I took it to my heart and she said, don't just wear it until you feel ready, one. But the biggest tip that she said is that to focus on my daily five prayers, the obligatory prayers, the salah. First, get that on my top list and then it will come by itself. And subhanAllah, I actually, you know, I took those those words to heart and I started focusing on that. So I got a long abaya from overseas that I would wear whenever I would be like outside, for example, whether I was at the mall, at the gym out with my friends for dinner i would literally like try to stay consistent with salah like pray on time as much as i can no matter where i was and try to avoid the excuses and hold and behold it is so true once i got into the salah like it automatically i wanted to wear because women when we pray we have to cover up right and i'm not gonna get into the the logistics behind it um again i'm not a scholar or anything but when we pray we got to cover our hair you know like stay modest and that that was a great motivation a great baby step for it and of course on the side i wanted to learn more about islam as i mentioned in my first two episodes reading the quran more studying it to understanding what it's telling me what is allah subhanahu telling me from quran that was very punishing in nature and so, for example, if I ate something I felt like was a bad food, I would then exercise more or harder or do more time on the treadmill or whatever it was. And I really went through about at least a decade of interacting with fitness in that way. And I was still very active. I raced mountain bikes. 
I started to run long distances. So got into half marathons and, and even ran a marathon, which I will never do again. <laughs> I checked that one off the bucket list. And then in early the early part of my 30s, I finally found CrossFit and learned how to lift weights. And that changed everything for me. But fitness was always a part of what I did. I ended up having kind of a negative relationship with it because I, I did use it as a way to control my body, to try to be smaller. I always felt like I didn't quite belong. I always felt like I was too short. My legs were too big. I looked different from other, you know, my other, my peers, the, you know, the girls on my soccer team or the people on my, my mountain biking team. I just never quite fit the mold for what those athletes or what those people looked like. And so while I continue to be active and do all those things, I feel like that relationship is really not healthy. And so it's interesting because as somebody who now coaches and, and teaches people how to lift weights and why strength training is amazing, I always have to remember that fitness is very contextual and the use of fitness can be very contextual per person where somebody might be using it to relieve stress, to experience the world, to see what their body can do, while another person might be using it to regulate, you know, their caloric intake, try, you know, for weight loss. And and I. And then the things that they have left, those, those are the things that they actually like, the things that they actually use. Then we put those back in a more efficient manner. And what that means is the things that you use the most you want to be able to get to them more quickly, more frequently. If you, for example, drink coffee or tea every morning, maybe you don't want your mugs all the way at the top of the cabinet. Maybe you want them on the bottom shelf right at about eye level. So once you finish with, say, the top cabinets, then you go on to the bottom cabinet, same thing. Take everything out, see what's there, because sometimes there's stuff hidden in the corners of the cabinet that... You had no idea what was there, you know, until you take it out and examine it. And then you make decisions. Is this something that I need? Is this something that is valuable to me? Is this something that I want? If the answer to any of those is no, well, then you pass it on to someone who can use it. I don't believe in throwing out things that can be used. So as often as possible, I try to take things that are donated and take them to where they need to go. Yeah, but no, that's so cool because I also have a health promotion minor so I can relate and understand because fitness is so important for health. But oftentimes people, in my opinion, from my experience so far, don't understand how fitness can really play a huge role in, in our health. And it's not just like the weight loss and stuff. It's like so much more to it. Yes, absolutely. Mental yeah. health and positivity and there's so many there's so many things that are I totally agree yes we all want to look good in our clothes and we want to be healthy and we want to have good biometrics but most important we want to feel good and feeling good is the inside out so yes I 100% agree yeah and I was telling Kelly so like this one other day over the summer I was running and I saw her group running and they were so nice like they all smiled and like cheered me on and I'm like man like I'm not even in that group but it made me want to become part of the group Aww, you should well yeah that is, <laughs> that is probably one of the things I'm the most proud of and I yeah. always say I don't tell them to do this I don't you know I don't say hey we got a new person be nice 
They just do. It's just their instinct. It's just the culture of our community. It's really, I think, I, I, I don't, I hope it's not unique. I hope it's like this everywhere. But I think that they realized that somebody, somebody was there for them their first day and they know how much that meant to them. And they know that it was truly life-changing to, to be able to, you know, continue with exercise. So many people tell me, oh gosh, Kelly, I've started, I've started things over and over again. I never finish. I always feel like a loser because I never finish what I started and I feel unsuccessful. And what I, I, what I really hope for in our community is that, that they feel successful. They don't have to be perfect. You know, that's a big thing. Like I don't need you to be the most fit person. Goals that you think are, you know, somehow attainable and manageable for you. I, I think, you know, going for those lofty goals could be could be a bit intimidating. You want to you want to give your give yourself the chance to win. You don't want to feel like you've lost during this month. So before you actually set any goals, try to be some sort of a practice pragmatic about it. I know it sounds boring, but we also need to be practical, right? I mean, if you are a mom of three or four or even two or one, you know life is going to be very hectic. So you need to sit down and prioritize exactly in what areas you would like to do what, right? Yes, and that's why I love I talk about when I talk about Ramadan goal setting, I like to categorize it. But I also got that idea and concept also from productive Muslim and other few people that I like their tips but I'm very big also on like categorizing our goals so you know there's a spiritual aspect of Ramadan there's also the family aspect or the relationship health aspect there's the mental health and all of that so you can say like one goal per category for example whether it's uh, read a Quran one one or what have you or it could be I want to improve my relationship with my parents my wife my husband and so forth. Exactly. I, I totally agree. And um, something that is very important is, uh, you know, this general want amongst us, you know, that we want to become better is not enough. We have to um, accommodate that want and wish together with an action. Because, you know, just wanting and wishing to become this better version of ourselves is not going to be enough. We have to accept the fact that we will have to take actions. And just as you said, it's really important to uh, have these different categories. And yet again, Ola, I would like to um, emphasize on on the uh, importance of not overloading ourselves too much, especially, you know, if we are responsible for for certain areas in a family, you know, we have different responsibilities. And if you're a mom, you're a dad, then you're going to have a little bit more responsibilities than if you are unmarried, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, don't overload yourself. You want to give yourself the chance to succeed. So before the month of Ramadan actually starts, you need to ask yourself, what is it that you want to improve? Now, you know, with that attitude in mind that we will not overload ourselves too much, find those two, three, four categories you want to improve on. It is, as you said, it could be, you know, your health, uh, it could be mental health, it could be uh, what you would like to do, you know, community-wise, and it could be, you know, your personal goals that you would like to set for yourself. Uh, what we refer to as the foot tripod. The foot tripod position is essentially where you want the majority of your weight 
supported underneath your big toe, your small toe, and the heel. So even though the entire foot is relatively on the ground, or I should say more of the foot is on the ground than those three points, you want to have your weight supported as you're standing on that foot tripod position, big toe, small toe, and heel. So what, what you can have your clients do is if they're listening to this is actually just stand up and feel your two feet upon the floor. And notice where the weight is between those two feet. Is it underneath the big toe, small toe, and heel pretty equally be between both sides? Or do you have a foot where the weight is more on the outside of the foot? Or maybe the weight is more in the heel of the foot versus over the entire foot tripod underneath the big toe, small toe, and heel. Because what we find with a lot of clients that have knee problems is they can't get the weight appropriately underneath the big toe side of their foot. And that's where a lot of bunions come from and a lot of things that are called neuromas or irritation of the nerves of the foot come from as well. And that's where a lot of you know, sort of foot type issues stem from, even things like plantar fasciitis. So the more that we can get the foot the weight supported upon that foot tripod. So almost like languages. There's so many different styles and dialects. Brazilian jiu-jitsu is is all about um, kind of grappling and it's very in close fighting. It's Taekwondo, we like to use our legs and, and our distance and our range and keep away from people. Brazilian jiu-jitsu, they like to be in close and and uh, they 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 kind of get really good at joint locks and submission moves where you would, you know, put your opponent in a, a position of that what they have to submit, whether it's a chokehold or an arm bar or a leg lock. It's, it's not necessarily the best street defense because in the street, you don't necessarily want to be, you know, locked up with somebody. You kind of want to create distance and separation and get the heck out of there. You know, that's, to be honest, the best defense is avoidance of situations that put you in harm's way. And, and you know, you're a young gal. You don't want to be out late at night fumbling around for your keys in the parking lot or whatever in a dark parking lot. That's just you've got to just be more intelligent than that. Um, but if you if you want to get into more street defense, again, this one Krav Maga, I think, is the best one that I'm familiar with when it comes to street defense. That's true, because they even teach it at George Mason University, and the guy who's teaching it said the same thing, and self-defense, the reason why I have this question here, it's because it has become so much needed, popular, and requested, especially among the Muslim communities, especially after what's been happening uh, recently in the past few years and stuff like that. More women across uh, different ethnicities, backgrounds, cultures, and what have you are getting into it, but I've noticed, especially within the Muslim communities, they're getting more into it, and that's why I want to distinguish the difference and see which one is the best for self-defense. And there's and there might even be some local, you know, some of these just strictly self-defense courses really teach you a lot about avoidance and about how to hold yourself, even your posture, how you walk, you know, if, if you're timid and, and slow and, again, fumbling around in your purse for your keys and you can't, you're on your cell phone and you're distracted or you have headphones on. You know, this drives me nuts where, you know, I see you know, like my daughter's 12, but she just walks around with headphones on kind of oblivious to the outside world. That's not a position of, of being aware of your environment and your surroundings. In the, in the um, Navy, they call it situational awareness in, in the U.S. military. And it just means you're aware of your situation. So, you know, if you go into in areas that might be there might be some risk, inherent risk, uh, there's you know, low light, it's dark, it, there's maybe a low...
happy. I'm not doing this. I just kept putting it out of my mind. I kept putting it off. And eventually I got to this point where um, I was at, I just completed a massive, massive three-day event, like enormous uh, live event. And my job had ended. My contract had ended. I didn't know where I was going. And, you know, you, you have those points in your life where you just have these complete breakdowns where you just like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going. I have no idea what's happening with my life. And of course, I've got this, this conflict with Islam and what I, what I believe, but what I, you know, what I'm worried about, all these different things kind of like came to a crescendo. And I'm like, what do I do? What do I do? And this word came again, it was like pray, but it was a lot stronger this time. I'm like, okay, you know what? I'm going to pray. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do it. I had seen people like make wudu, but I didn't know how to do it. So I kind of just splushed myself down and I didn't know how to pray properly. The only thing that I really knew about the prayer was uh, sujood. So I'm like, right, well, that I, that I know how to do. And subhanAllah, I cannot describe that feeling as my forehead hit the floor for the first time. I was crying my eyes out and I was just like, <laughs> sort of very practical prayer but it's kind of like look if you're there I really need help right now <laughs> and uh, subhanallah by that afternoon I had been connected with an American convert revert whichever you you like to call it who was living in the same area as me and subhanallah I took my shahada three days later uh, it literally everything just fell into place from that point where I put my head down and I was speaking to Allah and I was like look I really need help I don't know what to do help and yeah that's kind of how it happened alhamdulillah I love it. And you're like getting me into tears because as we are recording this episode, so technically on the day of this episode on Wednesday is when I launched the 11th episode, which talked about my spiritual transformation and like what about it and how we should work, we should focus on it as well. Yeah. And I said, you know, especially converts can relate to this. And this is why I relate to converts a lot, especially in my early days as well. They call it newborn. So when a convert comes to Islam, they're they're called like newborns because that feeling, the internal feeling, like they found some there's a light inside, and it's it is hard to describe. It's hard to put into words, but I completely feel you. And yeah, no. So it's the same thing with me uh, with the Quran, especially like I wanted to study from an academic perspective and like try to understand it. And that's a perfect segue. Then if you can tell us about how was Ramadan for you in your journey, especially in your early, early days. Ah, yeah. So, um, you know, I also just for sharing that, you know, what you're saying yeah. on your side. I think so many, um, even born Muslims quite often have that, that experience that, you know, a lot of, a lot of people may just be, you know, doing things that they're doing, but they're not sure why. And then they mm -hmm. have this sort of transformational experience where they really connect with, with the deen, subhanAllah. And so many born Muslims have actually relayed stories to me that are almost identical to, as you say, new Muslim stories. SubhanAllah, it's amazing. But yeah, talking about my, my first Ramadan, wow. So I... I Any challenges with from family, community, and friends? I know you already told us about your parents, but were there any, like, setbacks, especially as a being in hijab? No, like, it's funny, a lot of people ask me this question, like, the only, like, small setbacks I get, like, is from my parents here and there. Like, oh, like, this is a guy sport. Like, how, are you, how long are you going to be doing this? But, like, you know, I proved them wrong eventually. But in terms of the community, like, I got so much positive feedback. Like, yeah, girl, like, you got it. Like, things like, oh, that's so inspiring. You know, do you bring light? I don't know, something. Like, it's just, like, because because, you know, I'm sure you know, like, not a lot of girls from the community do sports so no yeah so it's kind of like a push for them 
And I was like, for me, it's just like, I don't, hijab or not, I'm doing it. But like, I guess you just gave them a short, a, a small push of motivation. So, no, all, I mean, from this point, like, just positive feedback, alhamdulillah. That's awesome. Keep it up, keep it up. And, yes. of course, you're welcome. So, I want to ask you, what is your typical workout style like? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I've been experimenting. So, okay. I work out every day, right? But it's not like your typical gym workout. Like, Monday, Wednesdays, I go rock climbing and work on upper body. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, um, parkour. Just kind of, you know, getting stuck with picking up whatever is available, which isn't always the healthiest option. So, yeah, so just taking some time out to kind of prep those meals and snacks really makes a difference. Staying hydrated is really key in the summertime, you know, because you will be sweating a lot more, obviously. So, you know, water as well as coconut water is a really great natural drink that kind of replenishes the electrolytes. And, and yeah, I find those are, those are kind of the main tips. I also find that maintaining a balance. So, you know, if you do have an ice cream once in a while, that's absolutely okay, but try not making it so that you're having an ice cream every day. And, and a lot of times when people are active, they get into this thing where they, they feel like they can treat themselves, which you absolutely can. But when it becomes something that's every day, when you think, when you justify, you know, a, an exercise with a treat, that kind of becomes a vicious cycle. So being really mindful of that, you know, having some of that preparedness with your meals and snacks beforehand, and then, you know, knowing when it's time for a treat. So scheduling that in your week uh, really helps as well. I love that. I'm going to apply it myself because I notice it every time I go to the pool and I swim, I'm always hungry. And even if I'm not hungry, I just want to eat anything. So, and I love your style and your approach to dieting. To live that next best version of yourself, spiritually, physically, socially, the Ramadan can really become this powerful you know, experience where you just, you just up, like you level up, right? You upgrade yourself, you level up and you can realize your full human potential, what you can achieve in this amazing, beautiful month. I love that. Thank you so much for mentioning that because it's so true. And that's how I believe Ramadan is and should be as well. It's not just, oh, I got to read the Quran or I got to pray because it's the quality versus the quantity. And it's really important to focus on the quality. And as you mentioned, the, 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 the to-do list because when I went on Instagram live I had one person uh, mention this how oh my gosh like I can't keep up with the ibadah or like something about the ibadah right and I told her that even exercise or like taking care of your health is an act of ibadah so don't be so hard on yourself because I think when we say the word ibadah during Ramadan we automatically switch and think of Quran prayers but it's actually everything like you mentioned the social aspect the physical aspect and the mental health aspect so yeah, so, and, and the thing to think about it from also perspective of this, you are, I mean, if you think about the, the purpose of Ramadan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran that the purpose of Ramadan is to achieve this level of taqwa, right? This level of God consciousness. Now, that level of God consciousness is not only related to God consciousness in acts of rituals and prayer and Quran. And again, I'm not downplaying the power of Quran and Salah and I encourage people to go all out and really push themselves as much as possible to maximize their rewards in, in Ramadan. But the idea is that how can that that level of that you to lift your leg and step up onto a high step or to fall and catch yourself and kind of stretch your leg out. So it's the ability to actively lift against gravity and to actively be able to put your body in its own ranges rather than just someone passively doing it for you. And so 
the important thing to note between the two is that flexibility is great. It's an aspect that gets you into better mobility, but it's not going to really be the thing that makes you more functional. Because if you're just passively stretching all the time and breathing into it, it's great to be able to like lower our, you know, our, our stress and get us out of that sympathetic kind of go, go, go mode all the time. But we need that mobility and that active portion at that end range of motion in order to tell the body it's safe and it can revisit those ranges of motion and it can do it functionally like I was talking about stepping up or hiking or catching yourself from a fall or reaching up overhead or whatever it may be. That's where mobility becomes way more functional in your everyday life. Love it. And not sure. So for us as Muslims, we do five times a prayer today. You know how we stand, we we prostrate and all of that. And that's why I want to push that mobility even more into it. And it all connects. Very true. So and then why is it important to take time to focus on our mobility? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I want to point out a really good point about that. And I love that your cultural your culture and your religion does that because there's also been studies that have shown that there's lower risk of osteoarthritis within the hips because you're getting down and, and praying multiple times throughout the day. And I think that's awesome. Like in typical, you know, American Christian culture, you could say it's like, you're not getting down on the ground. Yeah. Hardly everyone, anyone is getting down on the ground multiple times. We sit in chairs, we sit in cars, we sit on couches and no one's getting down on the ground as much. And so all of a sudden you build up all these issues and your range of motion is lost. Where in your culture, that's what I think is so absolutely, like there's so many beautiful aspects of it. But um, And then staying hydrated and eating your veggies, plant-based diet, I'm not going to be recommending any diets. I've had previous nutritionists, dietitians, and I always say, like, I'm a fan of, you know, I'm not, like, a plant-based all, 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 all or nothing. So if you're like me who love to eat meat, animal source protein, then have that. But make sure you also include more of vegetables and fruits. Number eight, to make time to exercise. Working out, exercising is obviously helpful. It's obviously known to be stress relief. However, some people, in my opinion, go all out with exercise and working out. And that can really make your body even more burned out and more tired. And so, you know, if you're feeling super, super tired and you're running out of time, then try to have... Not an easy workout, but try to have a workout that lets you feel more relaxed. So, for example, don't do like five times or seven times a week of a, a workout. It's like a hard strenuous cardio sessions or hard strenuous weightlifting. You can do it five times, three times, and then the rest of the week could be like active rest, mobility work, myofascial release. It could be static stretching. The point is to listen to your body and let your body be a guidance for you on how to give it back and manage it. And so that I hope that makes sense. I hope that, you know, because I know it can be a little bit controversial. I know some people have different opinions about it, but I'm a huge, huge fan that exercise helps, but not when it, when you're super exhausted and you don't want to get injured, right? That's the whole point of, like, injury prevention. If you're going to... Thank you for mentioning that because it's so true. Every person is different, just like with working out. Not all 
uh, workout plans, the one size fit all, same thing with nutrition. And I love that you mentioned the online, but also I would like to emphasize the importance of knowing where you're getting information from because mm-hmm. not all information is valid, whether it's for fitness, uh, medications, or anything. Make sure you're doing your research. And again, go back to the professionals such as Catherine for nutrition or myself for fitness and consult. I love that. And thank you for mentioning glass. I also need to do my own more glass shopping. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's for beginners. How about for people who are already on it? What do you recommend for someone who's already on the path with meal preparations? Well, if they want to be more specific to towards their fitness goals or health goals, I would still recommend to track the macros. Tracking your macros, which means tracking your carbs, your protein, and your fat daily, it's a huge tool to make sure that either you're going to build muscle, lose body fat percentage, gain or lose weight. That is basically the, the way a lot of people do it in the fitness world, and it's a way that works. I work under a registered dietitian and she's the one that writes my meal plans for me. And I really think that that is the number one approach for someone that either is starting or either is trying to move up in their health and wellness journey. This is the safest way. I don't believe in someone should be cutting a whole food group or cutting fats or cutting protein or cutting carbs or not eating fruit or limiting the vegetables that they eat. I feel like all this is wrong. The best way to do it is being balanced and make sure that you're getting your macros and your micros, macronutrients, micronutrients every single day for optimal health. At the end of the day, this is not about losing weight and being super thin. Okay, so that means like you're extroverted, but you're very close to the middle there, if that makes sense. And I I think that definitely makes sense there, but extroverted, and again, I just really want to emphasize here, like introverted doesn't mean people don't like people. That's like a really common like misconception. It just simply means that, you know, usually introverts just need a little bit more downtime after social gatherings and things like that. But you're very much in the middle there. So that probably means that like you enjoy people's company and you enjoy being in, you know, places with people and whatnot. But you probably also enjoy like your solitude and stuff. And I know that to be true because I know you like to like bike and do cool things and, you know, swim and take time to yourself. So you're kind of in the middle there. Do you want to say anything before I continue? No. I'm just smiling because it, it, continue. (laughs) Yeah. So the second category, you got observant. So the other, again, this is a spectrum. So on one side, it's observant and one side, it's intuitive. So you're like almost in the middle, which means you're a little bit more observant than intuitive, but you're kind of like almost balanced on both. That would mean you're like 46% observant. I mean, sorry, intuitive. So it's very close. Intuitive people tend to get a lot of information internally and they tend to focus a lot on the future. Observant people tend to focus on like the present moment. So you being somewhere in the middle is probably a mixture of like focusing on the present moment, but also really future focused, which makes sense. I mean, you're an entrepreneur, so entrepreneurs are going to be future focused for sure and goal oriented. So you're very much in the middle there. I also just want to say there isn't really like a good or bad result in this, except for maybe the last category, which isn't bad, but it's maybe just like, even when I teach my emotional freedom class, 
I never teach people that they should want different in any way. But if someone truly wants emotional freedom, they'd want to work on one category, which I'll mention. Feeling, it's either feeling or thinking. So 69%, that doesn't mean that if someone has feeling that they don't think. Like, duh, of course they think. It's just that m more of their decisions are going to be powered by emotions and they like their emotions are important to them and whatnot, you know, so that's what feeling is. And then perspecting, you're you're kind of and really there's no except for maybe the last one, you're not really seeing like eighty percent here or anything huge. Like fifty, sixty percent just still shows like a lot of balance. Not that that's good or bad, but it just means like kind of like the best of both worlds, if that makes sense. Perspecting is either perspecting or judging. Perspecting kind of means being spontaneous and going with the flow. Judging doesn't mean judging other people, even though it sounds like that. Judging basically means like really being focused on rules and like structure. And again, that doesn't mean because you're more on the perspective side, you don't care. A little bit more rest. You could still, you're still going to burn calories. You're still going to lose weight and so forth, right? Uh, you're still going to get all the benefits of the workout but it doesn't need to be at a, such a fast, high, intense pace. And that's kind of some of the stuff I just kind of work on with my clients and, and myself as well. But obviously, one thing I will say, uh, disclaimer, is take the first two, three days off. Let your body adjust to Ramadan. Let it get used to, you know, because when you're not in a fasted state and you kick into a fasted state of no water, no food or anything, your body takes time to adjust. So let, give it some time. And once you feel good, then, yeah, go into the gym, spend 20, 30 minutes and see how your body's responding. And then you can play with it as well, right? See what's working, see what's not working, seeing what you enjoy. And the biggest thing I love about Ramadan, or even throughout the year, even just working on in general, is learning your, about your body, learning about yourself, right? Evaluate yourself and see what your body can do and see what it can, the, the limits you're able to push and see how you can grow within that, right? And that's basically what Ramadan is, right? Refraining from so much and you get to see what you're able to do. And we're able to fast for 16 hours straight and people always think we're nuts. You know, we always have friends who are non-Muslims. They're like, oh, how are you fasting for 16 hours? Well, it's, and then we think to ourselves, well, it's really not that hard. Working out the same way, right? People ask me how I got my results. It's consistency, right? Just keep doing it, keep going and keep finding different ways that works for you, right? Yeah. So during Ramadan, I don't try to, I don't, see, I don't focus on it completely where I'm just like, oh, I need to go to the gym. If I can get a session in, then I will go and train. But if I try to go, I'll do three days a week. So my split, it would be three full body sessions or two upper and one lower body session. Now, I don't like focusing too much on lower body because we've got, we got to pray and stand. So because of that, I don't want to put pressure on my leg to have to stand throughout the prayer and then it just affects my prayers and I don't want to pray because my legs are in pain or something so I just try to focus more on my upper body and it's more of the similar stuff that I do throughout my normal sessions just more rest in between if I need to and just keeping the weight not too heavy but not light as well so moderate weight always keeping it moderate and being able to get push through it a bit more as well not not being too easy on yourself but not being making it too difficult where you need to break and drink some water stuff like that because we can't drink water obviously so yeah just try to keep it balanced in my sessions i love that and i heard your interview on another podcast and i have a huge respect for when you talked about bodybuilding and you yourself like I, I just respected how you mentioned in islam like with bodybuilding and especially from a guy to hear that that we're like, even guys shouldn't be showing too much of their pictures and all that stuff so i just want to hear more on your perspective on how did you find like how were you able to stay strong 
especially as a guy because you know women like we have especially with hijab like we have to cover but with guys a lot of guys get away with it like oh i'm a guy fine but you're you still like maintain it so do you mind if you can dive into it a little bit more yeah sure no problem i think that's the the good thing and the fun thing about being a convert because uh, you enter islam especially me because before i came to islam i barely knew any muslims i knew two so i wasn't really i was not yet i don't know how the english word i didn't know the the islamic context islamic culture and right. uh, i wasn't brought up in that way so a lot of the things that normal muslims perceive as normal because they, they never seen different you'd have a very different perspective as a convert so oftentimes i see myself looking at the sharia and especially looking at the goals that it tries to perceive to reach and then you see really funny things because for example as you said i all so many times i have so many guys complaining or saying like I, when i want a wife i want her to have an hijab wear skirts and all the likes but on the same hand the guy always walks around in a tank top doesn't have a beard posts six-pack photos of himself social media and, and not in the way that i'm judging because everybody's on his own level and that's fine there should be room for somebody to go to allah on his own pace but as a convert, somebody out of the normal context, out of the out of the culture, it seems so strange. Like, how can you? And I don't want to sound like a white knight, but it's just my <laughs> my 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 logic didn't work. Like, how can you demand for your wife to be fully dressed and you don't even have a beard or don't dress modestly? Just found it funny, you know. <laughs> and so I kept on trying to raise money while training for this race as much as I was able to. And at the same time, work on my business. And during that time as well, I was working on my swim instructor certification, which meant I was in the pool a lot. I was also teaching water aerobics, which also for me, like an easy access to the pool. So I was just like juggling so many different things and my body was obviously exhausted. So I tried my best to keep up with the training. And so at first, obviously, I created my own like drafted workout plan to follow, which again is in the blog post in the link if you are interested to see how I did it to myself and how I usually do it with my with my clients an overview. So it it was like so nice in the beginning, but then I just couldn't follow the whole thing through. And so with all honesty, I am feeling a bit embarrassed and ashamed that I couldn't follow it all the way through. I'm a personal trainer. I'm supposed to like be this fitness professional who practice what she preaches, which I do my best. But again, I am that trainer and that fitness professional who believe in taking time to cope with stress, to cope with a positive mindset and to not give up. So it's rather for it's important for me that you are trying than just giving up. And that's what I'm what I'm a promoter, I guess, or preach about. And so I highly believe in the importance of cross-training, especially for runners. So my workout program included, or my my training program included like swimming, biking, running, strength training, resistance training, because it's really important than just run, run, run. I know a lot of runners don't like to focus on strength training, but it's really important to avoid injuries in the future. I'm, I'm a bigger fan of, you'll, you'll never be stiff if you you move well and you move properly and you move often. Right. So if you do those things, then you will be you'll be fine because your body won't actually have a chance to get stiff, won't have a chance to get tight. Right. If I'm constantly moving and I'm not saying lifting, I'm not saying go to the gym and just constantly be doing your squats and your deadlifts and your bench press and your pulls. And that's moving. That's not moving. That's that's fitness. That's a, those are two totally different concepts. So but just move. 
right? Like move around. And at the end of the day, you know, you might feel tired. You might feel like, oh, like your joints are starting to feel stiff. But that's just because they're starting to lose some hydration. You may be a little bit malnourished if you didn't eat. And then, you know, you got to make sure that you're obviously drinking water and, and moving properly. But that that's what I would say to that. So stretching in and of itself, that 30 second stretch isn't a bad thing if it's used for the right right reason. I like how you said it's a heated question because it is in our industry because even at the idea conference last year in 2018, it was so funny because there's a, there's a different debate out there like when you should do static, whether before workout or after workout. And I'm on the side of like it more on like static stretching, particularly post-workouts. But then one of those uh, sessions that I just spoke with this uh, speaker and she said, well, what if someone is in pain? Would you go into the workout right away? So like if some someone's like super tight, then yeah, I go with like the foam rolling first and then static stretching um, and then move into the workout. So any final thoughts on that before? Because I know it is a heated topic in our field. So yeah, I just think there's yeah, I just think there's misinformation out there. And there's there's a lot of those, right? There's a lot of the a lot a lot of things that have become what I once heard referred to as overuse injuries of knowledge where you hear something and you believe it because it was said by, you know, probably a reputable source that you didn't do any research on it, but you hear this and then all of a sudden everything that you do or everything that you see then reinforces that and you have a really hard time changing your mind about it. Right. So it becomes like this overuse injury of knowledge where like, it's just like, that's all it's just, just what happens is what you believe. Right. It's just recurring all the time. So what I would say is this, I'm a big fan of foam rolling for, you know, circulation, that kind of stuff before a workout. I'm actually okay with doing static stretching before a workout as well. If you feel as though that's what, what helps you, there's a couple cautions I would have with that though, is that one, I would make sure that you progressively get into your movements afterwards. So don't just go right under a bar and start squatting 225 after doing some quad hamstring stretches because that range of motion that your body kind of took away from you and was protected by your stretch reflex will be in a relatively uncontrollable range of motion. So you parts here to me Allah was Allah you really I didn't know how to discuss it in a paper because it's either belief or not belief and then messengership is was a very big deal but it's historical but to me the biggest changer of my actions the thing that propelled me the most uh, was this description of the hereafter. So if that that in a nutshell is where this you know thesis paper, the final paper came from. And that was uh, initially, if you want to strengthen any part of your iman, strengthen your belief in the hereafter. And as a result, you'll want to know more about the hereafter. So you'll seek out the prophets and the prophets will make you love God more. But that was, uh, yeah, that was really the journey that came about that the akhirah, positive and negative, hell and heaven, was the reward punishment system that the brain was already set up for. So that was a, a big statement there that hell and heaven were very necessary. Like we needed them to say, if I uh, take care of my body, I'll go to paradise. But if I trash it, 
not only will I go to hell, but my body will already be in hell. So that that's really there the 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 crux of the paper. That believing in a hereafter is not just about brimstones and pretty maidens in paradise. It actually has an effect on your on your world here, and that's what I talked about there. You're right, because when I I'm like, okay, but I need to keep working, you know, on like improving myself because there's the yeah. consequences to it. So that's why it's really important to like keep it in mind because. There's so much positive energy. It's not just about burning calories or mm-hmm. losing sizes. It, it, it's the feeling, how you're feeling when you're physically active. So so I think it's very important to to highlight that also and, and to inform what type of training is it, the benefit of the training as well. Yes. And so what, where do you usually get your like outfit from? Or if you can like recommend, I can have them in the show notes or people can go and look into the website. Sure. There is a great Turkish brand that is called Ranuna, R-A-N-U-N-A. <laughs> and they also have good swimwear, which is, yes, yes, I, I, I do have one from that brand and I'm actually very happy with it. So then I just wear a swimsuit underneath and it's a great and very comfy um, head covering uh, piece and then like a big jacket and big uh, pants. And they're actually very comfy. I, I use them myself if I go to the beach or to the sea, for example. I know, I look at your pictures and I'm like, she looks a little comfortable in those clothes. <laughs> no, but I, I am. I had it in Spain when we were in Malaga uh, last year and you can imagine I mean in Spain it's not really like like the women are so covered up on the beach really so but alhamdulillah <laughs> I was really comfortable and really yeah and even with that material the fabric of that one when I came up from the water it was like it was not tight into the body either so it was great awesome. and uh, and I think it's very important to remember why are we wearing hijab and that it is our own choice and it is because we believe that that is the right thing. And when you do something for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will feel so much more inner peace and contentment. And when you remember all the blessings that you have and why you do the different things that you do, then your self-esteem and confidence will increase so much. And then, inshallah, you will care less about people when people are looking or when people are saying things you know it's up to them alhamdulillah alhamdulillah you have the guidance and you have the belief in allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alhamdulillah i agree and also once you have i actually just posted about it on my insta story but once you said the intentions right also that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will make the way for you so if clothing is one of the struggles for you said the intentions keep looking and then work for it because like when i wore the hijab i used to wear one one piece bathing suit and i still do but i cover with a rash guard on top of it and like leggings but at the very first year of my hijab i was like oh i'm covered like who cares but then had to play around but then that makes me to go back to the question on how do you find the energy or to get active because it's a common asked question and i think that it's one thing to say that you're gonna feel good about after the workout but how can we get that energy to go and work out to feel better I mean, first of all, I think it's very important to start to eat proper food because yes. many, <laughs> because too many times when you're into either way the all or nothing principle, as we used to say in Sweden, the all or nothing principle is to either way be dogmatic, eating super healthy, or you just give up and you just eat like everything. We don't want to be. With that being said, would you please tell us then what is meditation and what is mindfulness? Yeah, sure, sure. I could talk a little bit about that. So, I mean, 
Mindfulness and meditation aren't necessarily the same thing. Meditation, obviously, is a practice of turning inward and tuning in rather than tuning out. That's kind of one way I like to kind of look at it, right? Whereas mindfulness, meditation can be used as a, and should be used as a, as a way, as a modality or kind of an intervention to help build self-awareness, right? So the way that, you know, kind of a textbook definition of mindfulness these days is, you know, moment to moment awareness, awareness of self, awareness of what we do, what makes us tick. and combined with kind of a general acceptance of what's arising in the present moment. So what that looks like is very often we have this idea that things are supposed to be one way and not supposed to be another way, right? Or things were supposed to be comfortable and not uncomfortable. But what mindfulness can do is it can help widen the window where we can deal with more. We're more resilient when discomfort arises. The idea that let's say we have three buckets of experience, right? If we have positive experiences and negative experiences and neutral experiences, right? This idea that a lot of us and for for good part of our lives are searching for ways to get out of the discomfort when in actuality, discomfort is part of life. It's part of the human experience is to be uncomfortable, right? And, and we experience pain. We're going to experience physical difficulties. We're going to experience maybe mental and uh, emotional difficulties. So for me, mindfulness is really about how do we build resilience when discomfort or difficulty comes to us, which we know it will. That's the piece, right? We have to, we have to affect the difficulty or challenges. So how are we engaging are we running from them or are we actually kind of meeting them head on? So mindfulness is really about being... You know, when that includes picky eaters. Yes. <laughs> and the funny part, I was going to say picky husbands because some guys can be so picky too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because I talked about it. I went live with Zahra and that also came up how, like, about her kid, like one of her son eats like certain food and the other son like different certain food I'm like that's like just like my dad <laughs> where oh, like wow. he doesn't like spices and my mom and I were like okay with it but so like, she has to adjust to that when it comes to cooking and stuff sure. yes um well this is a very interesting topic because I know it's a very hot now but I actually found out about the gut and the relationship about gut a few years ago and I would like for you to tell us about our gut and how we can eat the right food for it. And if there's anything else you would like for us to keep an eye for the gut. Okay. Yeah, so um, by gut um, typically means um, we're including the stomach, the large and small intestines. Um, and so most of us see the stomach as just the organ that simply prepares, you know, the food that we consume for consumption. But the, honestly, the stomach is actually the body's second brain, interestingly. Um, the gut's actually where a majority of serotonin or the happy hormone is made. Um, and it's also where the majority of melatonin is made, or of course the sleepy hormone. So the health of the gut has a direct link, um, not in just food digestion, but food and sleep, uh, excuse me, mood and sleep. And, um, perhaps even more intriguing is, 
your gut is where 70% of your immune system is. So your immune system doesn't simply just fight invaders like bacteria and virus. Um, it's involved in keeping, honestly, nearly every bodily function in check. Um, and it goes to work as soon as it detects any type of issue in the body. So, you know, if we look at how the diet of, a, of an average American affects the health of the gut, we're going to see first that 70% of the average American's daily diet consists of corn, wheat, sugar, and processed industrial seed oils. So this is like canola and sunflower. Um, all of these are not only poor in nutrients, but they leave us in a state of chronic nutrient deficiency. And they wreak havoc on the gut by causing, again, chronic inflammation and serious irritation to the delicate gut lining. So just imagine these foods that I just mentioned were literally almost non-existent in the human diet for over 95% of our existence. And now they make up a majority of our diet. So I always liken it to kind of like a bamboo loving panda adopting a primarily meat based diet, you know, over the next few hundred years, it's simply not how they're designed to eat. So, you know, obviously we're going to see a decline in the health of that species over time, much like the de decline of health, you know, we've seen in the human species. So, you know, in addition to this, the colony of bacteria in our stomachs, or also we say gut flora. Um, is honestly at the foundation of our immune system. So the problem is a diet high in sugar, especially, but also, again, artificial ingredients and synthetic chemicals um, like those found in almost every packaged and processed food. This destroys the delicate balance of bacteria in the gut. So now the potentially bad bacteria like candida is usually kept in check by the good bacteria but unhealthy foods like the ones I mentioned kill off the good bacteria. Analyzing problems, visualizing what will happen tomorrow, what has happened yesterday, recalling, reliving failures, successes, or just daydreaming. So all of this thinking produces ever-changing feelings of emotions and endless parade of judgments of ourselves and others and circumstances. Sometimes, of course, there's a problem with that instant noise, and it doesn't allow us to really live truly in the moment and be aware of what's happening in the here and now. And that's really what I focus a lot on with my clients. You know, we can't really change the past. Fixating on the past is, you know, going to just lead to more anxiety. Fixating on the future or what you could have done also causes some anxiety. So how about we focus on right now, just now? feeling better for this time period here. And also I wanted to bring up like how many times we get so distracted in our thoughts that, for example, you're driving home from work and you're already on your way home and you get home and you park your car and you're like, how did I get home? Because I definitely did not pay attention to anything. Like you were like visual, like not focused at all, but you made it home safely, right? So that's an example of like being distracted in, in thought. Even though you know to be a safe driver and to stop at a red light. So that's just like not an example of not being in the here and now, like not living in the present. And great power, of course, lies within us. So the relationship that you have with your mind is one of the greatest relationships. And of course, wonderful ideas about the world and thought comes from not just thinking about something, but also finding a place of silence that you can access your creativity from within and imagine outcomes 
of what your goals are and what your plans are. And you can also use your past experience in that moment to help you move forward. Does that make sense or am I... No, no, it makes so much sense. And I have like, it's a big, deep topic, of course. And there's so much that I want to like also add into it, but it makes sense. So (laughs) positive change or do you want to just be overwhelmed with what you're going to experience? You know, do you, the choice is really up to us. And sometimes we don't realize how much power we have in our hands to change our attitude and perception about certain situations. Yeah, and subhanAllah, the brain is seriously a huge, it's a blessing, and it's an amazing, like, creation, obviously, but, like, negative thoughts could impact, like, negative actions in life, and positive thoughts impact, and then the whole growth versus the fixed mindset. Another thing that I just remembered, and that I've talked about, as we get closer to Ramadan, especially as well, it's a good segue, that it's important to have a growth mindset, which is a mindset of knowing that it's okay if I failed, how can I learn from this failure? How can I grow from it? Versus like a fixed mindset. Of course, you can tell us we approach the Quran, we should approach it with intentions to learn and not like, you know, oh, it was just a book, but mm-hmm. to actually open it. and Because it does matter how you approach it and the way you approach it will play a huge role in your life. And yes. It did change my life forever. Yeah, um, I, I <laughs> a special bond with Syria and the people of Syria. That's where my children actually learned to recite the Quran with, uh, with Tajweed. We spent a few summers in Damascus. <laughs> uh, subhanAllah, yeah. Yeah, subhanAllah. So they went to the local Quran schools there. Uh, and they still also have this special bond with Syria because of that. <laughs> Alhamdulillah. So, so I wanted to ask you, would you please share with us how our relationship with Allah Subhanahu is important and how should we work on it, inshallah? Wow, mashallah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me start with this, how our relationship with Allah is important. It's, I'm asked this question a lot, but actually the answer is in knowing who Allah is and primarily in knowing him as our Rabb which is only possible to the extent that we get in touch with who we are ourselves, because that's what's available to us, right? Yes. So that's where we start. So let's start from there. Let's look at ourselves. We're living beings. But for instance, I'm, I'm picking one point about ourselves, life. Is life under our control? No. Obviously, we can lose it anytime. I can stop breathing anytime. I could even stop seeing or seeing anytime and there is nothing in me that can stop me or stop that from happening. I, I have no control over that. So if, if I'm breathing right now, it's a gift, it's a blessing, it's a miracle of, of rahmah, of mercy. So let's t- reflect a little more. In order to remain alive, obviously we need, well, we need water, we need food, we, but there is something that we usually or often we overcome, which is we need to breathe. We need air and we need to breathe. And yet we have a very limited control on our breath. We can control how we breathe, but not that we breathe or not breathe. If we stop breathing, then that's it. In a few minutes, it's the end. So we constantly breathe. We constantly need to breathe without even thinking. We do it without even thinking. Actually, we are made to breathe. It's like I find myself breathing. It is breathing. 
And the same goes on for seeing, for smelling, for digesting, uh, and other activities. So, like, how do we talk? We intend to talk, and it talks, subhanAllah. How do I talk? How am I talking now, right now? How do thoughts convert into sounds? And then those sounds reach your ears, Ola, and then your brain, and, and then you make sense of them, and lo and behold, you understand something, and we connect, subhanAllah. Just like with anything else, when you lose sight of the goal or the struggle becomes overbearing with the goal, then you know, you're know you likely to to discontinue. And so with the Prophet wasallam, I think that uh, having that particular affirmation, even though the Prophet wasallam, was affirmed with divine revelation, but to, con- you know, to, to have something that really shows the Prophet wasallam, so much of what his, his goals actually were it, it puts things back in perspective for the Messenger وسلم, and allows him to to really move forward at, at a different pace. So the Prophet وسلم, was, of course, always motivated in the sense that he was always moving towards that direction. He never had any intention of quitting وسلم, But uh, seeing something like that, seeing a portion of your goal achieved is a way of affirmation. And so when a person is trying to make progress spiritually or physically, or with anything, when it comes to habits, keeping the goal in front of you and, and paying attention to your progress and letting that be motivation to make more progress is what we would take from it. I love that. And it's very relatable. Would you please tell us why it is important and that we sh- need to be aware about Isra and Miraj? I think that there are uh, Aqidah elements of it, obviously. You know, there, there are elements of creed. It unified the missions of the prophets behind the Prophet You know, the Prophet was a continuation of those Prophets, so it sort of brought them all together. There's something symbolic about all of them praying behind him, and then giving him words of, of support and advice and love and, and um, you know, admiration for his mission, his ummah. And also the idea that, you know, I think that the greatest lesson from Isra and Mi'raj was what happened with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq, may Allah be pleased with him, when he was asked about the miraculous journey of the Prophet And he said, in kana qalaha faqad sadaq, if, if he said it, then he's telling the truth. That the Prophet وسلم, you know, is truthful, and that the miracle was not just in Isra and Mi'raj, but truly the miracle was in all that happened after the Isra and Mi'raj. And all of that is to be put in the same perspective. The reason why I'm having this episode, actually, is very interesting. I had actually, like, interns with me that were are working and they're both Muslims and they're young, right? And they both told me that we would love to learn more about Isra and Miraj because they themselves like don't know the whole details, including myself. And that's why I felt it's really important to bring it back to the fitness and health journey. So thank you. Then why can how can we actually stay reminded about it in our daily life actions and not just during Rajab and Ramadan? I think by by realizing everything the Prophet saw were things that he spoke about all the time. But, you know, he saw the Prophets. He saw elements of the unseen. Those things always exist, you know. And so the Prophet teaches us to really be, you know, to, to have firm conviction in those things, to believe in those things. And so the idea that you don't have to see it to believe it. You know, for, for, for the believers, we know that our Prophet ﷺ was, was telling the truth, and we know that 
the things that he saw were, were indeed true. So it is, it's a sense of certainty that comes in what the Prophet saw. And for us as well to continue with that, you know, with that certainty, with everything that we do in life. It's a really interesting, it's an interesting question. And it's actually something I was speaking about with a nutritionist yesterday. Because on the one hand, like I said earlier, all the same excuses that people have for why they're not working out exist. And and it's I'm not going to say that we're different than the rest of the world. We're busy or like, no, everyone's busy. But it's easy for us to, to talk to like really believe our own excuses, right? Like taking care of our family is spiritual work, doing what we need to do to do that is spiritual work. So it's, I can't say like, oh, that's less important or this is more important. It's not. They're both important, but I believe that we make time for what's important. And I think that once we understand the importance of it, we're willing to make the time for it and we're willing to find a way to do it in a way that serves our life. Sometimes the struggle is just in recognizing that importance. So I would still say yes, from a business perspective, there's still the struggle of helping people understand why it is that this is something that they should be implementing in their lives. I will still say that a lot of people want it, do recognize the importance of it, but have trouble actually like taking action, follow through, which happens in every area of our lives. But again, I kind of believe a big part of why it's so hard ties back to the weight loss thing. When your motivation is externally based and the results that you're looking for may not come to you in the way that you So actually, this discussion on my mind just came up. So I know you are in um, UAE. So how is the difference over there? Is it easy access for clubs and sports? Because here in USA, it's obviously an easy access, but how is it in the Gulf countries? In the Gulf countries, the where I am in the UAE, the government here pushes so much towards health, making sure that people are aware of the importance of living a healthy lifestyle, getting uh, involved in sports, a lot of gyms around, a lot of facilities. So there's a lot of focus on health in general and being physically fit. That's awesome. And so then with parents that have, that are at home, for example, or at daycare with the preschool children, what suggestions do you have to help their kids stay active? For preschool, just any type of play is good. Well, one thing you see a lot these days is iPads, phones. So uh, children are losing a part of their uh, childhood because of the technology that we have. So one thing parents need to focus on is give them play time. And it doesn't have to be something like in a club or organized, just let them have that play time where they get to use your imagination, where they get to go out and move. Just be themselves in the surrounding that they are in. And that's very important for them to, even when they grow, it's gonna help them to keep moving. Some research has shown that the children who do not go outside and just play, have their children time outside, they will not be visiting nature later when they grow up. Yeah, so that connection is built from a very young age and it's very important that we give children their playtime away from technology. Just get them to use their imagination, their moving, their dancing, whatever silliness they want to do, just let them do it. And that's important for them as a step towards being healthy. I think mentally, it's also a way for us to just kind of relax and, you know, change our status quo, what we're thinking about, what's bothering us, you know, where our focus is. And being in nature allows you to kind of like let that dissipate from your mind. It gives you a chance to 
give your mind a break and focus on things that might bring you some happiness, might bring some relief from kind of the normal, like built up pressures that you might have in your in your mind about, you know, all the things that we have going on in our lives. So there's that mental therapy aspect of it and then the spiritual aspect of it. And really, as Muslims, you know, we're asked in the Quran over and over again to reflect. Right. And there's so many things in the Quran where Allah mentions aspects or things from nature as a point of reflection for us. And if you have never experienced those things by being outside in nature, I think it's kind of really hard to understand some of what the significance of what Allah is talking about in the Quran when, you know, he's swearing by the sun and the moon and the the fixed path that he assigned for them or how this, the trees and the, and the stars kind of prostrate toward him, you know, and revere him. These are all things, you know, even the story of the spider, you know, how can we really appreciate this when we haven't seen a spider spin his web? You know, there's so many signs in, in the Quran that relate to nature that I think really you have to be in nature to understand them fully. That's so true. And, you know, I'm like kind of like laughing, smiling, because it, for me, the same thing when I see an ant, like yesterday, I think I saw an ant. I was like, man, it's so patient. I need to be patient like the ant. And it's mentioned in the Quran as well. And like you said, I struggle with Dr. Jen, with Bilal and the previous guest, where we talked about that it's super important to stay active during Ramadan, but you don't want to just get active just when Ramadan time comes. You want to get started like now so that you can build that momentum and keep it up during Ramadan. Because a lot of times people just go all out, right? So that is for the health aspect. Set realistic goals. Start out easy. Start out with like two, three times a, a week. Build the momentum up. If you're short on time, keep it short. You don't have to be like, you know, go full hour. And then with the daily chores, yes, I, I help out with the house, right? So I don't do like, with the house chores, see if you can like get the kids helping out. I'm not sure how old your kids are, but get the kids active, ask for help. And I would say for the house daily chores, maybe if you can like pick one day to be for the laundry, one day, like every day is obviously like after we eat and stuff. But like laundry wise could be like during the weekend, you don't have to clean the house every single day. So you can dedicate a day for um like certain aspect in the house. And if you are able to afford or get help, right, that would be something that I would totally, I use the word totally a lot. <laughs> I would recommend that you get. And then the ibadah. So try to see if you can like everything that we do in life, to be honest, is an act of ibadah, like taking care of the kids, fitness, anger management, trying to work on our, our anger, like everything we do is an ibadah because taking care of our health, taking care of ourselves, it's share this with your family and or like another example, that was a, a complicated example. Another example would be how some families still struggle to talk about depression, how some families are not very open when it comes to like genetic testing and how some families think like it's a taboo, like, you know, when it comes to breast cancer, for example, when it comes to like Alzheimer's, like a lot of families don't want to share the past or the history because whatever reason. So that's how an example, how family dynamics could impact your future health. And when you do become, God forbid, like sick with Alzheimer's, that's when the dynamics of the family starts to change and all of that is so interesting so in the beginning of the semester we had to define family and we had to do like an activity to say who do we define as our family and subhanallah i remember from the prophetic dynasty lectures about prophet Nuh alayhi salam noah and how he thought his whole life that his son is his 
is part of his family. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him like, no, he's not your family. Forget him. Let him go. He was among the ones that sank in the ship. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told him that the people who are with you in the ship are the ones who, the believers, are your family. And I was like, subhanAllah, like, you know, Islam already talked about these issues, but we just never think about it because we think that the Quran is just a story. Like, it's just stories in the past. We never connect things like that. So that was like, I guess, one of the early connections. Actually, the earliest connection that I have made myself where in the early Nova days, when I started like lifting and I got into the whole like reps, sets, resting time mindset, I would connect it to prayers, like the sunnah prayers. I'm like, okay, you know, I got to pray the, like, for example, the the duhr salah. We have like four rak'ats and we have the sunnah before it and after it. I'm like, okay, it's like sets. We have five sets or five reps here then we have <laughs> and then when it comes to ramadan i would like connect it when it comes to tarawih's prayers like we have some people pray like 18 rakat some people like pray the minimum eight and what have you and i would try to in- inspire myself and motivate myself to pray more and more and more day by day I'm like, okay, so I'll do like four rakat for tarawih and I'll rest like 30 seconds or whatever and i'll do another set like it's so funny and crazy but that's the connection that I have made. And then I was trying to become a certified trainer in 2015, 14. But then again, I was in school. I couldn't really balance. Like even when it came to winter break, it was just too much information. I'm a very slow learner. So then it was just too much. So finally, when I graduated in 2016, I was like, that's it. I was free. I was so burned out from school, but I studied for it and I passed and i'll go back to this in a second but what about when it comes to the fashion because i'm not a fashionista (laughs) (laughs) fashion i mean here's the thing like everyone has their own sense of style i'm a very strong advocate of supporting small business owners just because these you know individuals are not working to make millions of dollars right they're they're working to fulfill a need but at the same time they're working to put table on their uh to put food on their table sorry so I'm a, I'm a very big advocate for, for small businesses just because I, I personally believe that their means of ethical business tends to be a little bit stronger than corporations that are, you know, just keen on making money. Yes, and I'm a big fan of this. So many gym balls. Not, that to me was like perplexing because I'm like, so I, you would rather give me medication then tell me to change how I ate. You know, it was it was difficult to understand because A, he knew I was a nutritionist. And B, for me, I think, you know, medication is a band-aid, right? And so the the actual thing that could make the significant change was the diet portion. And that wasn't being offered so readily. So I went home and the the diet that he the changes that were prescribed were pretty severe. I actually had to like do my own research and it's called FODMAP and it's like eliminating any foods that draw uh, fluids into your stomach. So I had to eliminate any fruits or vegetables with a pit, any things like garlic, onion, a lot of grain. It was very, very strict elimination diet. So Ramadan was on the horizon and I decided, okay, it's Ramadan. I'm going to do this and I'm going to 
try to focus on just eating foods that are gentle to my digestion. And I'm going to do an ins- I start an Instagram account to hold myself accountable. So really that entire process in the 30 days of fasting and eating mostly um, soups and stews and things like smoothies and, you know, really like very, very gentle food changed how I felt. I, I was losing a lot of hair. I had foggy brain. I had, you know, diarrhea, like really all the time. And it was just I felt horrible all the time. I was in pain. My entire body was in inflammation. And that 30 days, I could, subhanAllah, like just the, 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 the way the person that went in that fast and the person that came out of it and the way it changed my entire practice, it has ever since my goal in life has been letting people know that food really is your medicine and doing the research to back it up. And not just that, but also like looking at, you know, allowing people, you know, to be skeptical of this and showing them by showing how, you know, when they change their diet, like actually in real life practice, I'm I'm not sure I'm saying this early, right? But what I'm really trying to convey is, you know, it's one thing to tell somebody, you know, if you change your diet, you're going to feel this way. But it's another thing to show them and to see the change happen for them. So for me, that has been my, the focus of my practice the focus of all my social media outlets is making sure that people understood really your pharmacy is your kitchen. Don't allow a doctor to tell you how to manage your conditions or how you feel. You should be your own advocate that you should always get a second opinion until you feel it in your gut that what you're doing is right for you. Literally, continue the search because this is your body, it's your home, and you're going to be asked. Allah will like judge you on that, how you've treated your body. See how they feel. Thank you for tuning in. If you've enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe today and leave a five-star review. You can also screenshot and share this episode with a family or a friend. Be strong, be fit, be fit for Akhirah.